0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. Before getting into the sermon, I do have an announcement to make. So, November 2nd, tentatively, uh, Michaela and I are planning on offering a youth class on Wednesday nights. Now, the reason I'm announcing this early, a few weeks in advance, is to just get your your response. Is Wednesday the best day, or is there some other day in the week that would be best for this? Uh, And yes, Michaela, she's going to be helping me out with this. Uh, She's going to be there uh, with me as we... Uh, teach the class together. So right now we're planning for Wednesday nights. We have a few things in mind of the direction we could go with that. Uh, But right now, November the 2nd, and if you have any better ideas, uh, like when it could take place, let me know if there are any better days. Now that being said, we are still in our series, hashtag blessed. Uh, I've seen some new people here. Uh, Get get somebody else to catch you up on what's going on. Uh, It's been we're on, now on Sermon 3, but we've been taking a look at the Beatitudes, and today we are in Matthew 5, verse 6. If you could go to the next slide, please. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now let me ask you a question. What do you do when you're hungry or thirsty? What do you do? right, usually, you know, when I'm hungry or thirsty at home, I'll go to the fridge, open the fridge, see if there's anything I want to eat in the fridge, right, and then sometimes if I don't see anything, I'll close the door, and then I'll be like, you know what, maybe I missed something, open it up again, and hopefully something just magically appeared that I wanted to eat, or maybe you go to the the pantry, you open up the pantry, you take a look, see if you uh, maybe forgot about any little debbies or anything like that, you know, to eat, and so when we're hungry and thirsty, we go look for food, or look for drink, Right, that, that's what we do, and you know, I, I've talked about those silly situations, but that's what we do. We go and look and provide for ourselves, usually, unless you're Paul Jones, of course. Judy would like that joke. Anyway, she's like, no, that's not a joke. <laughs> anyway, so we go look for food and we provide for ourselves, but what if we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Because it's not the same, is it? We can't just supply righteousness like we supply ourselves food. We can't open the fridge to find a nice big plate of righteousness. So what do we do? And here's another question for you. Are you hungry and thirsty for righteousness? And if not, why are you here? I know that seems like a harsh question, but seriously, if you are not hungry and thirsting for righteousness, why are you here? See, I hope you're not just here because that's what you do on Sunday mornings. I hope you're here because inside of you, you feel a hunger and thirst for righteousness. But of course, before we even get to that question, before before we look at how we can obtain righteousness, before we get our fill of righteousness, we have to answer a question, and that is, what is righteousness to begin with? Right? Biblically, uh, the, the Greek word means what is equitable, what is fair, what is just. Now, sometimes the word is actually translated as justice. So maybe you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you hunger and thirst for justice. Now, I'll give you a simple definition that seems to be biblical. It is what is right in the eyes of God. Righteousness. But there's an issue with that, right? Society says... We determine what's right. We determine what's right. We determine what's true. Whatever you think is true or right, you do that. So who determines what is right? Who determines what is righteousness? You see, that's a question we all have to face. Is it God? Or is it society? Is it the world? Now, if the world is to say we determine righteousness, take for example, say, say society determines righteousness. Say we individually determine what is right. Now there's issues, issues with this, obviously. It can lead to any sort of thing. Right, for example, take example as, uh, this example of somebody driving on the highways. Right? Say they get cut off by somebody in traffic and they get mad and they determine they want to go kill that person. Okay, extreme situation. Right, but they determine that that's what they want to do. They determine that that is what is right. Now obviously, as we think about this extreme example, that would be wrong. You can't go and hunt somebody down that cut you off in traffic. You shouldn't do that, but why? Why do we think that kind of action would be wrong? Because if we were truly the base morality, if we were to base righteousness on our own opinion, if it were truly subjective, the only standard should be you. But in our core, we know that can't be so. In contrast to society, God says, Me. I determine what is right, I determine what is justice, I determine what is fair. Now, obviously, if you if you believe that God determines what is right, then you believe in God. That goes without saying. So what I'm about to do, I debated on whether or not to do this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. It's sort of an argument for what is right, or an argument for righteousness. Now, the one I'm about to present to you right now is very informal, and on the back there, on the rolly pew, I do have a more formal argument layout for righteousness. I know this sounds very boring. This is something that I've kind of learned in college through philosophy and other classes, but the more formal ones on the back row, I'm about to give you an informal one. So, Based on scientific evidence, some of you are like, whoa, my goodness, he's talking about science and church. I am, there's a point to this. Based on scientific evidence, there was a big bang. Now, initially, let me explain what the big bang is for a second. I know, a little nerdy. But essentially, they believe that, scientists believe that our universe began at a singularity and something out of nowhere caused an explosion, and as you can see, I have a target to depict this. So imagine the target being that the middle right there being the singularity in our universe somehow exploded into existence and has been expanding ever since. Now, if you want a more detailed variation of this, there's a book called The Return of the God Hypothesis, and he essentially goes into uh, the Big Bang and how it, in a way, proves God. All right, and so scientists initially used this theory as a way to disprove God, But the issue is they had no way to explain where this Big Bang came from, right? And so interestingly enough, this theory actually falls nicely into our Christian belief. Surely God speaking the universe into existence would look like a Big Bang. And now since atheistic scientists, not all scientists, but since atheistic scientists had trouble explaining where our universe came from, some of them turned to, uh, this is kind of new Terminology, but multiverse theory—if you ever heard of that—it sounds directly out of the comic books, which really it kind of is directly out of comic books. Essentially, they believe that our universe—it uh, came from another universe, and uh, that universe came from another, and so on. You get it; it goes on to infinity. So that's what they propose now—a theistic scientist as to where our universe came from. But regardless. That theory, the multiverse theory, I'm getting a little nerdy, I know that, that's my fault. Um, it, it falls into this, this idea, this terminology called an infinite regression fallacy, right? Essentially, the argument bases itself on itself, and obviously, an argument based on itself does not stand. It, it's no argument at all. There is no support for it. Regardless, there is very little scientific evidence to believe in this multiverse theory. There's more than enough to believe in a big bang. But the issue was, why? Why did our universe come into existence? Why did it explode? Now, the best explanation would be a creator. Now, in my more extensive uh, explanation of this, you can read about Mm, I'm not going to get into that. It's a little complicated. You can read about that later. But essentially, the, the best explanation is the simplest one that accounts for all the facts, right? You don't want an overly complex explanation for why things happen uh, because according to Occam's razor, which is a ph- philosophical theory, when you multiply things beyond necessity, it just becomes too complex. When there is something so simple and obvious It's the best explanation, which is why God is the best explanation because he's the simplest explanation that accounts for all the facts. I am so sorry. This is all boring, but it's very interesting to me. That being said, since matter cannot come from the lack thereof, what does that tell us about morality? Since matter, since our universe cannot come from the lack thereof, what does that tell us about morality? It can't. Morality, righteousness cannot come from the lack thereof. And so there's got to be a standard. You see, we have these simple illustrations of what we know to be right. It wouldn't be right to go hunt somebody down after they cut you off in the traffic, but why? The why. Is a standard. You cannot know what is right without there first being a standard, and I believe, and I know most of us in here believe that God is that standard. Now, again, you can grab that piece of paper on the uh, pew—not the pew, the podium back there. It's more in depth. It'll be a lot better than me just explaining it now. But since we understand God being the standard of what is right, a.k.a righteousness, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, where do we get our fill? We have to get it from the standard. We have to get it from God. But the issue is, we are not righteous without God. You know, I used to think hungering and thirsting for righteousness meant I got to do as much good as I can. I want to be righteous, so I'm going to go out and do as much good. I'm going to go out and love as many people so I can be righteousness, so I can earn that righteousness. But let me tell you something. That's not what hungering and thirsting for righteousness really is. In my opinion, the best passage that deals with this is Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Now, I know the first bit was very complicated and nerdy, but here's, here's for all you Bible nerds, all right? Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This man went down to his house justified, or declared righteous, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That term, therefore, justified, can also mean to be declared righteous. You see, you're not declared righteous by God when you do the right things. You cannot do enough right things to be declared righteous. You are only declared righteous when you recognize you are not in fact righteous and when you recognize that you need God's mercy. You see, you are declared to be righteous because of God's mercy. See, this is something that took me so long to get. So long. Almost two decades. (laughs) You are only declared righteous because of God's mercy. When we love, when we do the right things, I hope that's a response to his love. See, when you love, when you do the right things, that's, that's not to earn righteousness. That is a response to the love that he has already showed you. See, when we recognize our sin debt, the more we understand uh, our need for the cross. The more we understand our need for the cross, the more we respond to his love displayed on the cross. I should put this graph up there, but I didn't. Uh, there's this graph. It's essentially, uh, imagine a, a triangle, and you have your view of sin going up, and the cross is in the middle of this triangle, and the, the smaller your view of sin. I should have put this up there. That is my fault. It would have been more, made more sense if I put it up there, but you get my point. The smaller view, your view of sin the smaller you view your distance from God, the smaller your view of the cross. I hope you all understand how really unrighteous you are without God. Because the reality is without him, we cannot be righteous. Without his mercy, we cannot be righteous. Without his love... We cannot be righteous. Second Corinthians 5:21: "For our sake, he made him who knew not sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. You cannot have righteousness without him. You cannot obtain righteousness by your own means. So hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, don't go to yourself, go to the source. We will be blessed because we will be satisfied. And if you are hungering and thirsting, you can come now. If you're hungering and thirsting, you can be immersed in the water to put on Christ so that you may be declared righteous as we stand and sing.